Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Don Adams. The Battle of Peleliu, codenamed Operation Stalemate II by the United States military, was fought between the United States and Japan during the Marianas Peleliu campaigns of World War II from September to November 1944 on the islands of Peleliu. The U.S. Marines of the 1st Marine Division and later soldiers of the U.S. Army's 81st Infantry Division fought to capture the airstrips on a small coral island. The battle was part of a larger offensive campaign known as Operation Forger which ran from June to November of 1944 in the Pacific Theater. Major General William Rupertus, commander of the 1st Marine Division, predicted the island would be secure within four days. However, after repeated Imperial Army defeats in previous island campaigns, Japan had developed new island defense tactics and well-crafted fortifications that allowed stiff resistance, extending the battle through more than two months. Back home in the United States, this was a controversial battle because of the island's questionable strategic value and the high casualty rate, which exceeded that of all the other amphibious operations during the Pacific War. The National Museum of the Marine Corps calls it the bitterest battle of the entire war for the United States Marine Corps. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II based podcast. As you're listening to this, I am probably on my way back or just gotten back from the National Museum of the Pacific War where I got to participate in their fantastic living history program as well as um, interact with up to 15 World War II vets that are being flown out by the fine people of the Honor Flight of San Antonio. But we will have much, much more information on that coming up here shortly. Real quick, this episode is brought to you by the fine friends of Act Computers. Act Computers is providing IT service for all of Southwest Florida since 2004. They specialize in businesses large and small. Primarily, they do a great job with veterinarian clinics. So if you have a veterinarian clinic here in Southwest Florida, you're not happy with your IT provider, give them a call, 239-283-1120. If you need residential work, computer repair, laptop repair, tablet repair, cell phone repair. They can help you out in those areas as well. Not to mention, uh, they help you out with antivirus protection, two-form authentication for any of your internet-based applications, as well as online backups. Give them a call at 239-283-1120. And even if you're not in Southwest Florida, as long as you have internet connection, they can log in remotely to help you with all your computer issues. d410.com, as well as 239-283-1120. And you can also find them at At Computers on Facebook and Twitter. Now, if you don't need computer repair and you still want to help us out, you want to support the show, go to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on a Patreon link. Join one of our three tiers. First one's a dollar a month. Second one's three fifty a month. The third one seven dollars fifty cents a month. That will get you a free T-shirt. Simply click, simply click on the Patreon link and sign up for that. Or if you're an Amazon shopper, please go to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the Amazon link. Save it to your desktop or in your favorites toolbar. And whenever you feel the need to click on Amazon, go through that link instead. It will not cost you any extra money, but they will send us a little bit of cash to help us with what we're trying to do here. Thank you so much, and on with the show. And joining us on the phone once again, he has been made an appearance multiple times on this podcast, and he is back once again. I consider him a friend. He does great things, especially for the PTO. And we're kind of keeping a theme over the next few episodes of the PTO, and joining us once again, Mr. Galen Wagner. Galen, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good, Don. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. It just started raining here in Florida, which we need because speaking of the Pacific, my bougainvilleas. Now I'm taking a shot in the dark here. I'm making this up as we go, but I'm going to assume, or I like to believe, if you will, because I'm a World War II nut, that my bougainvilleas come from Bougainville, hence the name. It may be true, it may not, but for the sake of this podcast, we're going to say they do. But they're dying outside, yeah. but uh, I've been watering the hell out of them. They're starting to bounce back, but i got bugs eating them, so now i got to get some incesticide. But I'm not the only one dealing with some home problems. You have just spent your evening fighting a dishwasher, which is never fun. No, it's not. No, it's definitely not. And so why don't we get past our trials and tribulations on the home front and talk about something you and I both enjoy, and that is the history of World War II, and in particular, the theater of the Pacific. Yep. And you put on a great event last year. You were on a few times to promote it, and that was the 75th anniversary of the Tarawa landings in Fort Morgan, Alabama. My first time in Alabama. Um, fun fact, first time ever that this podcast recorded an episode outside of the state of Florida. And I just recently finally got around to posting all the photos on the What's the Scuttlebutt Facebook page. Um, they had been on my other pages for a while. And because I had put them on my other pages, I didn't want to inundate Facebook with the same photos. And so I waited a while. But one of the things I decided to do, because it was the first place we recorded outside the state of Florida, is in the corner of my garage where I have my mannequin and my uniforms, I just so happened to have my Marine Corps uniform still on that mannequin. So I... Went out online on Amazon, and by the way, if you're an Amazon shopper, please go to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on the Amazon link, save it in your favorites, use that, and that'll send some coin my way to help support the podcast. But I went on Amazon, and I bought an Alabama state flag, and I hung it up behind my mannequin, and I kind of celebrated the fact that Fort Morgan was the first place I had ever done a podcast out of the side of the state of Florida, and I'm happy to announce where I'm going to have a second opportunity, because Galen... Being the man that he is, he sees something good. He knows it when he sees it. And we figured, why stop at Tarawa? What do we got going on this year, Galen? Well, we, uh, <clears throat> because of schedules, you know, the idea after Tarawa was to sort of continue with the uh, 2-8 theme and possibly do Saipan. But with the 75th anniversary of D-Day, uh, obviously taking up a lot of people's time um, through the month of June. And then us getting into hurricane season, which is always a, uh, you know, on the Gulf Coast, you don't ever plan anything basically between the end of June and, and November 1st um, on along the coast because you never know when you're going to have a tropical storm or a hurricane. So I spoke with Fort Morgan, and we decided to just stick with the same weekend that we did the 75th anniversary of Tar, which is November 1st through 3rd. Uh, and do the 75th anniversary of Palo instead. And uh, we're going to try to build, and we're pretty well on the way towards building a pretty good-sized company, uh, F Company, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, and the uh, 321st Regimental Combat Team. And then it's a great opportunity for guys with uh, Army Pacific Theater impressions that don't get to use them very much to come out and portray the regimental combat team that supported the Marines uh, and bolstered the force uh, to finally secure the island. And then uh, uh, the main Japanese force, of course, on Peleliu was the 14th Infantry Division, the Imperial Japanese Army. So we'll portray 
uh, the, the Japanese forces. We decided after, you know, Tarawa, a lot of the guys built the uh, Naval Landing Force impressions. and But we decided with Peleliu because there's no firm documentation about um, Naval Infantry being on Peleliu at the time of the battle, even though some had passed through, to just go ahead and stick with with Imperial Japanese Army. And then, of course, we'll have the CBs back. Uh, the theme this time is camp. Uh, in Pavuvu, you know, with Tarawa we did uh, the camp in New Zealand and then the Tarawa battle. And so this time we're uh, we're going to do the camp will be Pavuvu <clears throat> and the battle will be Peleliu. And, <clears throat> you know, after the, the 75th Tarawa event with the LCVP, even though we, we got down to one boat, I think still the uh, the climax of the, of the weekend, of course, was making the amphibious landing on the beach. And it was extremely expensive, those guys. Uh, you know, after we ran into the issue with the Coast Guard where we couldn't really help them financially um, without running into some issues where they would need a certificate of inspection, they basically funded the entire trip. So it was rather expensive, and we really can't have them back this year. Um, so we, you know, Phil Brinson and I and a few other people started putting our heads together and thinking, okay, how can we attract people to come back without landing craft. So we've been working on a few things. Uh, number one, we've got, at, at this time, at least one piece of armor coming. The uh, three, the Army, uh, specifically the, I think, 7th, 10th Tank Battalion used some tank destroyers. They used M10s and M18s, and the M36 is basically the M10 with a 90-millimeter gun instead of a 75-millimeter gun. So we've got one of those coming. Um we talked to the site director, and uh, she wants to do a public night firing demonstration on Friday evening right after sunset um, where we can fire whatever small arms and big guns that we've got. We'll fire the National World War II Museum is bringing their 37-millimeter uh, anti-tank gun back, so we'll shoot it. Fantastic. Uh, we'll shoot the tank destroyer. Yeah, uh, absolutely, because those guys, man, they did a, a phenomenal job. Uh, I posted a picture the other day in the mm-hmm. group that I I stumbled across a picture of a of an of 37AT crew uh, from the back and posted a picture of the guys that came to the Tarly event from the back and and it was incredible how how good they looked and the only thing missing was the the uh, the firing shield extension with all the 7.7. Yeah. Japanese bullet holes in it. But I think I that gave they're working on that. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that gave Brandon Deschotelli uh, an idea and something to work on at least. Yeah. Give him a reason yeah, to ask absolutely. for some uh, modifications to be done. Right, right. And uh, so that um, you know, basically we'll do that night fire Friday night uh, with whatever we've got. Um, Phil Brinson has uh, organized some field kitchen equipment. Uh, he's purchased some and. Uh, already had some, and some people that he knows already had some. So the plan is for there to be a, a field kitchen, fully functional field kitchen there that will feed us breakfast and dinner on uh, Friday and Saturday. Um, and that'll be, you know, who knows what on the menu. Uh, I mentioned to Phil the other day, and or mentioned on one of the groups, or maybe even the, the event group the other day about the, field kitchen coming and he posted a picture of guys that are going to be cooking doing a wake island impression where uh they were surrendering and and uh phil said that they you know as soon as they got out of jail for 
selling hams on the black market. <laughs> They'd be coming to cook for us at, uh, nice. at Taylor Lou. So that's pretty cool. You know, we um, food was, uh, at least for me, I don't know about everybody else, was a little uh, uh, sparse for, for breakfast unless you got up and went out to Tacky Jacks or something of that nature. So it'll be nice to have some food, and I understand they're going to do that uh free of charge there'll be no charge of course we'll, i'm sure we'll collect up some donations oh, for those guys um well, and then, i, I want to hang out uh, i want to hang out on that point for just a brief moment because that's one of the things as reenactors we tend to overlook one not only the authenticity of having a field kitchen but something that i had discovered recently when i made my little ammo box stove that i call it um, having a hot meal, even if it's something as basic as scrambled eggs and sausage or even, you know, hamburger or even hot dogs. Um, day one, you get out there, you, you've driven all day, you had McDonald's on the way down there and, you know, you're good at night and in the morning you wake up and, you know, okay, breakfast, whatever. But by the late night of day two, morning of day three, you're dying for, you know, you've had enough bologna, you've had enough beef jerky, you've had enough carrot, yeah. you want something hot, you don't care what it is. And so, I'm excited to have a field kitchen, one, for hot food. Now, luckily, I was part of the group that, you know, we kind of had our own little makeshift kitchen last year, so we did right, have hot right, food. Yeah. But it wasn't authentic, and it wasn't large enough, and we didn't have enough people um, available to cook for the amount of men we had there. And so... Right, yeah. To have hot food, as goofy as it sounds, if you're an outsider looking in, if you never participate in one of these events, um, it does kind of help morale. It helps get you up. It helps get you moving. helps grease your gears, if you will. And it just... Oh, absolutely. It makes the whole experience that much better. You can't sleep on hot food. And, you know, uh, it can be pretty simply done. You know, we've been looking at heavy recipes. We've been looking at some, uh, you know... SOS that people think of the white creamy chip beef. There's mm-hmm. actually a Navy recipe that's tomato based and is very good. And I've made it several times for the USS Alabama Living History Crew. And you can make enough to feed 50 or 60 people for about 20 bucks. Nice. And it's good. And you basically put it over a biscuit or some bread, and and it's and it's good. So I'm sure that's probably going to be one meal. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some spam put in there somewhere, some uh, fried spam. So we look forward to that. Um, have we put but, any more thought into having the second annual mess in? Because last year that was my first absolutely. one. Absolutely. And that yeah, in itself. Absolutely. And it's going to be it's going to be company level this time. You know, I told mm-hmm. uh, Mike Blosky that I wanted him to be, and he agreed to be in charge of it again this year. And we'll involve the whole company this time. Um, may even invite the army guys over. I I wouldn't be opposed to just having everybody come because it's just a good time. Sure. Um, but you know. Yeah, definitely we're going to do that. Um, well, close not, enough to the Marine Corps birthday, we can have another cake-cutting ceremony. and. Um, well, not only that, know, but it, now that it's going to be our second one, for those of us who participated in last year, we know what to expect, and now we know how to participate appropriately to right. make it more fun so that the guys who weren't there last year kind of understand what's going on. And as this thing right. pr- pr- progresses annually, it'll just become bigger and better. It's... You know, we all go to the events where we have the USO show, you know, got the swing music and the dance, and none that's all fun. But this is, this is basic. Um, it's a different experience. This yeah, is primal, primal testosterone entertainment at its finest. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, something that still goes on in the active duty Marine Corps today. Maybe not to quite the extent that, you know, we did it uh, at the event 
as far as the you know going on and on with the the things that go on you know sure. and continuing until everybody's had a chance to say something that you know a lot of times you don't get that far with it when you're on active duty because you become sort of limited on time and i'll say it again that you know i arrived on site thursday around lunchtime and until sunday afternoon at 5 p.m when i got to my house that was only hour and a half all weekend long that i wasn't stressed out worrying about something that I was just able to enjoy it and have a good time. And I, that was probably by far my favorite part of the entire event. So and we'll definitely do that again. Uh, that'll be, I'm planning on, you know, we'll talk about doing that on Friday night, right after the night fire spec. Uh, the sun sets at six thirty. We expect to tell the public to get there around six. We'll do the night fire and it should take about a half hour. And then the public will basically be asked to leave. We'll go back to camp and we can start, the mess in around, you know, 1930 and uh, just continue it as long as we feel like it, I suppose, till everybody's tired and ready to go to bed. And one of the things I want to point out about this event, um, one, the property itself is beautiful. You can't beat it. The Absolutely. historic value of it, the, the immense size of what remains of this fort. Now, if somebody lives in a town called Fort Myers and we don't even have so much as a piece of plywood leaned up against a tree. Um, right. When you hear Fort Morgan, Alabama, if you've never been there, a lot of people are used to, you know, okay, it's a fort or something. No, this place is huge. It's impressive. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing when the sun comes up. And because it is a fort and because it is designed to protect its um, people from all sides, that means there are 10-foot berms around the property, which allows us to do the thing that we reenactors always claim we want to do, which is hide our cars. Everybody's yeah. biggest complaint is, well, we're here, but I can see your Chevy Nova sitting over there, or I can see your Tacoma. No, we hide the cars. And so with the exception of the park buildings where the restrooms are at, you can turn in a circle and see just open field in a bivouac. And, and water and sand and, yeah. Water, sand, got the um, little tiny cactus that gets stuck in your boondockers. It's just a beautiful experience. And shout out to you for being a stickler on the uniform code. Last year, before the thing began, um, a lot of people had a little grapes here and there. But I'll tell you what, once you're there and you got a hundred or so cats wearing, as the name implies, uniform, all everybody's uniforms are uniform, it just yeah. takes it to that much of a higher level and it just it makes it all worth it to me. When you're seeing the oh, photos, the pictures are just incredible. Yeah, the photos are just amazing, especially when we're all falling in, we're all standing in line, and we're all saluting or you know standing at attention, and someone just catches at the right angle with the clouds in the background, the open field. Once yeah. again, no cars, no hot dog stands, no spectators. Yeah, the time Absolutely. that we have to ourselves is, it's it's awesome. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I think the most the, the next probably most enjoyable thing to me, and I you know. I'll, I guess I'll echo again that I was really looking forward to walk, you know, doing a march as a battalion down to load the LCVPs, and that didn't come to fruition, which is fine. But the formations with the sun coming up and everybody in formation and the first sergeant's out front reporting to the sergeant major, and, I mean, that, you know, that was the first time I ever in my 25 years of reenacting history um, in my career had I ever portrayed an officer before. And it was cool to kind of stand back and just watch all that, you know, um, take place. So, you know, we definitely plan to continue with that. We'll have a, a morning formation and an evening formation exactly like would have been done 
in camp to make sure everybody's there. Nobody's um, fell in a hole and died or drowned or whatever, you know, out on Pavuvu. We'll kind of mimic that and have those formations and pass the word, as they like to say in the Marine Corps, you know, get the morning word and the afternoon word. And so, you know, Friday morning we'll do a formation, and then we've got some pretty cool training evolutions planned leading up to the night fire. Uh, one, we've got Kelly Zeros mm-hmm. uh, currently working on learning uh, bayonet drill. Fantastic. And we plan to do some, com- some platoon and company-level bayonet drill, which is, you know, um, probably going to come into play uh, Saturday evening. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, and then we're going to do, uh, I think, probably a little march, not far, um, but get in a formation as a battalion, pick up everything we would carry into combat and walk down the road a little bit away. That'll, we'll do that Friday. And because it was amazing to me the number of people who, um, when we were down at Tacky Jacks, walked up and said, hey, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. You know, they had no idea the event was going mm-hmm. on. So if we do something like that Friday afternoon and maybe, you know, walk down the road a little ways, I'm talking a couple of miles, if that, you know, mile out, mile back, um, just to kind of draw some attention of the people that are coming in and out of Tacky Jacks in the marina area. They say, hey, what's going on down at the fort? You know, and then people start talking. The Oyster Festival's going on. So people riding around, people that are coming out to visit the fort Friday may not even know what's going on, come back Saturday. So definitely want to spread the word to the public more, uh, to have more spectators. But I will say that at Tarawa, Heather told me that on an average November Saturday, they may have 100 paid spectators. Yeah. And the Saturday that we were there, they had almost 1,000. So we had 10 times the amount of people there that Saturday that would have been there had we not been there. And that's the ultimate goal is to raise some money for the fort uh, and have a good time at the same time. So we'll do some bayonet drill. We'll do some, um, a little bit of marching. Um, we're, you know, with the tank destroyer being there, we're going to have to get the officers together and figure out, uh, considering that it's an army vehicle, uh, we've kind of got a scenario in mind. We'll probably after V days over, have a few conference calls with all officers to kind of discuss what we think the plan for the airfield scenario is going to be Saturday for the public, uh, which is going to involve some L4 and L5 uh, grasshopper planes that are going to fly in possibly Friday morning and stay all day Friday and Friday night static display and then take off just before our airfield scenario and fly some, some spotting cover for us. Uh, the grasshoppers, you know, Spotted for artillery and naval gunfire and the Corsairs um, and, and Hellcats that were supporting the Marines. And uh, Paul Hamlin plans to come with his plane that didn't get to make it last year. He had some mechanical issues right at the last minute. So we should have some air cover. We'll secure the airfield. And then the, the plan is to have the L-Birds come in and land behind the seizure of the airfield. Um, so come back in get on the ground, let the people that are there for the public demonstration see the planes, and then they'll take off and head home uh, around 5 o'clock, 5.30 on Saturday. And then Saturday night, after the park closes, Heather's granted us permission to do a night tactical. So there's we've identified a really cool area. Um, if you, you know anybody that was there at the airfield, if you – where the Japanese positions were during the airfield assault. Mm-hmm. If you push through that tree line out towards the beach, there's a great area out in there. Uh, we put the Marines in some defensive positions and let the Japanese do whatever they 
want to do. You know, I, we don't know where they're coming from. I really hope that happens. Um, I've been to a few tactical events where during the planning stages, it's, yeah, we're going to do some night stuff, and by the nighttime, everybody's just too darn tired. If anybody can make it happen, I know it's you and the organizers of this event. I mean, so that that in itself is just like an extra little uh, carrot for those you who may or still, for starters, if you're still on fence about going to this event, um, you need to get your pulse checked because, I mean, this, in my opinion, especially for, you know, the East Coast of the United States is, you know, quickly becoming the premier PTO event. But, um, yeah, so night event, night tactical sounds awesome. I hope that comes to fruition, but I want to back up real quick. I think the tactical, we're going to do it. You know, it's that is public scenario for the airstrip. Um, because of FAA rules, we kind of got to clear the airstrip. So we're going to push all the Marines back over to the area of probably where we started mm-hmm. the, uh, the airfield scenario for this last event. And the plan is to bring hot chow. We're going to break down weapons, clean weapons uh, out there in the shade of the trees. And then we're, we're going to have uh, uh, Danny Brown and his guys that are doing the cooking uh, bring out some hot chow and some mermite cans on a hand cart, feed us in the field. And then when it's when it gets dark, we're going to move into those defensive positions, not knowing where the Japanese are. Um, we'll never see them after the airfield is secured until we see them again when they're sneaking up into our defensive lines for the night tactical. So, you know, we're not going to run it to 10 o'clock at night. Uh, if we get started around 7 p.m., you know, we may run it for an hour, hour and a half, and then head back to camp and, that's and uh, give everybody a chance to drop some gear, go down to Packy Jacks and watch Louis Cando sing some karaoke if he comes back, you know. So oh, we're not going to make it an all-night thing, but, yeah, it's going to be good, and we're definitely going to do it. So and it's going to happen. Real quick, unless there's a extreme um, unplanned for cold snap, the weather there at night is perfect. It gets just chilly enough to yeah. put on an M41 jacket, but it's yeah. still warm enough that once you climb in your tent and if you – bring one that buttons on both sides, it quickly gets warm enough in there where you really don't have to rely yeah. on your blanket too much. Uh, the weather's and to beautiful. to be honest with you, the cool weather that we had the first weekend in November this year was kind of out of the ordinary. It's usually not that cool that early. Um, I mean, heck, down, you know how it is. You're in Fort yep. Myers down in Mobile on Christmas Day. We're walking around in shorts and T-shirts and sandals most of the time, so... You know, you can have these little cool snaps. We had that front come through on Thursday, which brought a little bit of cool weather. But, uh, you know, usually in November, it's not cold down here. So, um, you know, it could be, always could be, I I suppose, but it's usually not. And uh, so the last thing that I want to mention is that we're working on currently is um, we have received permission after careful review of all the the safety data and consideration to try to get uh, Charlie uh, Hobson, who's a, basically the World War II and forward flamethrower expert in the United nice. States. Uh, he has a functioning M2 flamethrower, and we I tried to get him down for Tarawa. <laughs> but, you know, being that it was the first event, yep. and, and when I, after I touch on this, I'll say something else. I think Heather was a little hesitant. Hey, let's bring a flamethrower down. But sure. you know, after she saw the professionalism, and I'll say that this night tactical that she's allowing us to do is absolutely a thank you for the job that was done at the Tarly event. So the people that are coming back, she wanted to make sure that people understood that she's allowing that because 
we did such a great job with the Taro event. Everybody followed the rules and did what they were supposed to do. And so she's going to allow us to do this night tactical as a thank you for, you know, that. So we definitely plan it good and, and, and keep it under control. But she's also, after reviewing a lot of the safety data and talking to the fire department, agreed to, to, for us to attempt to get Charlie down with his functioning flamethrower. Now, having said that, the way we're going to fund this trip uh, that we talked about last time is uh, 10 guys either on Friday morning and 10 on Saturday morning or 10 on Friday morning, 10 on Friday afternoon. Um, they're willing to pay a price, go to a class about an hour long, get all the ins and outs of the flamethrower, um, how, to, how it functions, how to fill it, how to pressure test it, all the good stuff, you know, all the things you need to know, how to strap it on and fire it, and then actually get to fire the flamethrower, a couple bursts out of the flamethrower per person. So uh, we're working on that right now. I'm hoping that comes to fruition. We've got a great place out there uh, where we can shoot it, where we don't have to worry about um, scorching grass or, or whatever. So uh, the fire department will be there. And uh, if it comes to fruition, I'll be one of the first ones to to pony up a little bit of money to get him down here to shoot that thing. Cause I think it would be probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You just don't get to do that anywhere very often. So. Well, uh, we need about 20 guys, you know. Well, don't look at it like you're paying to use a flamethrower. You're paying for an education. You're paying to further your knowledge on World War II right. equipment. Like you said, you're yep. not just paying to stand in line and squirt it. You're going to learn the procedures, the nomenclature, right. the filling protocols, everything. So that way, yep. when you're yep. out at a living history event somewhere and you're at a museum and there's a photo or a video or even a a flamethrower on display, you have the working knowledge of how that thing operates that you can talk to the public and educate the public. Exactly. So you're basically, you're buying an education in something that you probably very seldomly would have an opportunity to get somewhere else. Yeah, and you know, it's, uh, Charlie, he'd be coming from New York and he can't fly with the things, obviously, so you he's got to drive. So TSA it. won't let him bring that on carry-on? Yeah, no, especially not filled, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, getting him down here, he's not he's not trying to make any money. He's just trying to kind of pay for his trip and and uh, you know it's you know driving from New York and mm -hmm. and uh, he usually has to rent a vehicle to put all that stuff in and and uh, bring it down. So um, I'm not real sure what the price point is going to be just yet. I'm thinking anywhere between 100 and 150 dollars. Uh, he'll you know. Obviously, have to have a place to stay. He's an older gentleman, so he's not going to sleep out in the tent with us. So he'll have to get, make enough money to be able to pay for his uh, lodging out there on the island somewhere. And but uh, well, and I mean, I think that let's know, not forget it, it, he's taken on a liability, so he has to have some sort of you know, liability insurance, insurance that he's got to cover yeah, as well. Yep. So this isn't That's just exactly somebody right. doing a money grab and trying to pay for his gas and making some cash. He's got oh, no, he's got no, a bunch of liabilities yeah. on his side. Absolutely, yeah, and I can tell you from uh, last year that the liability coverage is uh, is not cheap. So, you know, yeah, I mean, we'll we're going to work on that over the next week or so, and hopefully that comes to fruition. I think it would be a really really cool, and and hopefully we can get him involved in that night firing demonstration. I can't think of anything that would be cooler than him firing that um, that thing at night for the public, you know, to be able to see. Again, you know, we're racking our brains trying to think of what can we do to make this event as exciting as the Tarway event was. And while there won't be an amphibious landing this year, um, I think that some of the things that we're 
we're trying to plan are you know going to give just as good an experience uh, to anyone who attends that didn't come last year. And that's also good news for those dry foot Marines who weren't excited about getting their feet wet last year. But that's an inside joke. Yeah. That's all in good love. Yeah. Uh, for the newcomers, the people who finally said, okay, I saw photos from last year. I'm sorry I missed it. If they're interested in participating, let's get all the vital information out there. How do they get a hold of you? How do they sign up? Where do they go? And also... Okay, are... the, obviously the easiest way is to uh, go on Facebook and search 75th Anniversary of Paleu, P-E-L-E-L-I-U, at Fort Morgan, comma, A-L. Um, so 75th anniversary of Paleu at Fort Morgan, Alabama. And then once you're in the group, when you join the group, it's going to ask you a couple questions. You know, do you, do you are you interested in attending as a Marine, Army, Japanese, CB? And then it's going to give you a registration link. And if you're interested in registering, you can go in there. We have tickets set up, free tickets. There's no registration fee for... Um, the four platoons, the headquarters, first, second, third platoon of F-25, and then the Army uh, 321st, and the Japanese and the CBs. And um, we decided not to do a weapons platoon because the weapons will be already be kind of intermingled into the rifle platoons like they would get broken up. So mm-hmm. we're not going to have a fourth platoon. We're just going to have everybody be in either the headquarters, which was Phil Brinson's crew, or one of the um, – rifle platoons and if you came last year um mike blosky and bill sheets were company commanders they'll be platoon commanders this year and then Corey schultz has taken over uh one of the platoons so it's f company two five headquarters first second third platoon i think mike blosky is first platoon Corey schultz is second platoon bill sheets is third platoon and then uh, uh sean temple is kind of heading up the army effort and getting a lot of help from some guys who uh, already portray the 81st Division that are very excited about coming. We met some of them at Peachtree City uh, a couple weeks ago. And then David Butler, who did the Japanese uh, command at Tarawa, is coming back to command the Japanese forces for this. And uh, and then Louis Farnell and Tony Diamalo and, uh, and Kent Griffith and those guys will be doing CBs again. Their display so last be, year was fantastic. Uh, oh, the amount absolutely. of equipment they got, brought down. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's going to be more this year. I know Tony's been working on a tractor, so uh, who knows what those guys will have this year. Um, I mean, who knows? I know uh, Phil Brinson's got a few things that, that he really wants to bring, so we'll see what kind of pans out. It's all about how much room you've got on your trailer, mm-hmm. you know, what you can haul. But, uh, you know, so it's going to be a great event. Um Hopefully the weather uh, cooperates with us like it did last year. You know, Thursday was a little rainy and cool, but Friday, Saturday, and Sunday Beautiful. couldn't have been better. And uh, hopefully we'll get that again this year. But um, if not, you know, we'll we'll do it rain or shine, and, and uh, you know, it'll be fun either way. It is the 75th anniversary of the Peleliu landings, Fort Morgan, Alabama, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Now, technically... It starts on uh, October 31st, right? That's when you, everybody starts uh, heading down? At least that's the yeah, date to, on the I'd page, look at, on the event page. Yeah, I'd have to look at my calendar to see the first, I believe, is Friday. Okay. So, yeah, you. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, A lot of yeah, people head first, in late first, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, head in late Thursday. So, really, you'd be arriving on October 31st. Matter of fact, you really need to get there mm-hmm. Thursday evening. 
yep. uh, to get the full day of all the fun activities on Friday. And, um, you know, um, then, of course, Saturday will be fire and demos. We'll have Bob Carr back, uh, obviously, to handle the fire and demos. And I talked to Clay Evans, Bonnie and Evans, mm-hmm. and he is intending to return. And Fantastic. he has such a good time portraying his grandfather at uh, Tarawa that he wants to come back and camp with us this time. So we definitely need to get him involved in the mess night. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, shenanigans, you know. Um, he didn't get to come last year because he had to go back and do some work. But um, I think he heard enough about it that he's excited about it this year. So hopefully we'll get him out there and camping with us again. And uh should be a great event. And uh also want to put a plug in um, real quick to get people thinking about it. The 80th anniversary of Wake Island. Um, I think that's December 8th, 8th, 10th, whatever that weekend is. I guess that second weekend in December, two weeks before Christmas, uh, 80th anniversary of Wake Island. It actually is the, the anniversary weekend. So uh, that's going to require some Marines to get some pretty interesting kits, you know, uh, khakis and leggings and campaign covers and Kelly helmets and 1903 rifles. So we've got a little over two years to get all that together. So uh, I do want to put that out there. I wanted to get the information out. Heather said, absolutely, we can come back. And somebody said, you know, uh, when I said I put a poll out, what do you guys think about 80th anniversary of Wake Island, December of 2021? Somebody said too cold. And I said, well, maybe not, because most times in Alabama on Christmas, we're wearing shorts and T-shirts. So mm-hmm. Uh, it won't be hot by any means, but it also won't be cold. And I'm, I'm an anniversary time frame kind of guy. You know, yeah. I don't want to do the 75th anniversary of Wake Island in August because no. Wake Island didn't take place in August. I think that it, it means more um, if you do it in the time frame. And specifically for Peleliu, you know, being that it's the time frame, the 75th anniversary, we got some cool. So we've got a couple of Peleliu vets. Uh, that are very possibly going to be in attendance that I'm aware of right now. And I, ha- well, I have a buddy that I served at Paris Island with who's working on getting some Montford Point Marines that were on Peleliu uh, down to the event. You know, they uh, that was the first time that African-American Marines landed with mm-hmm. um, with a, divi- a division for an amphibious assault. And it was uh, Depot Company, which included an ammunition platoon and, uh, let's see, uh, with the other one, it was a ammo platoon, and and I guess a oh gosh, um, field depot type platoon, and so that both of those platoons will receive uh, letters of commendation from from the commanding general after the battle. So um, pretty pretty excited about having those guys, you know, represented there, and hopefully we'll actually get some veterans there. If it comes together, we might have four or five payloads that there sitting under a tent talking to people. So. Uh, that would be huge, really, really cool to have them there. And back to the weather thing, um, yeah, the weather affects us, but more importantly, we're doing this to educate, and the general public is going to prefer to stand out in an open field in 70s, 60s, and low 80s with low humidity in December, along as well as, well as our veterans underneath a tent opposed to standing out in right. blistering hot sun in August looking for shade to hide under. And so if we want this sort of thing to progress, it's all about the attention and the people. And back to something you said way earlier, um, it's kind of funny. I I never thought about this until we were 
having our little formation last year and to which you said, okay, everybody just leave certain items in your trucks. And then it occurred to me, 92% of us there do drive pickup trucks for one reason or another. (laughs) But the reason I bring that up back to what you're saying about getting attention, there's nothing stopping five or six of us from leaving our rifles back at the bivouac, jumping in the back of someone's truck and actually driving a little ways off the peninsula into the main town, into that beautiful square down there to draw some attention to what's going on down there. Yeah, that's true. Just to walk around in uniform. People are like, well, it's Halloween, but no, that's not, that's a hell of a Halloween outfit. Let's ask these guys what's going on. And oh, by the way, drive four miles down a peninsula and you'll see a whole bunch more of this plus more. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely would encourage people to, um, you know, especially Friday, um, you know, that if you go out, if you need anything, you need ice, you need whatever you need, go out and drive down towards Gulf Shores and, you know, walk in the gas station when somebody asks you, hey, what, why are you dressed like that? Tell them, you know, it's good advertising. And um, we got a pretty busy Friday, especially with the Friday night fire and the mess night, but um, we may be able to find some time in there uh, to break for lunch because the, the field kitchen doesn't plan to do lunch. They're going to do breakfast and uh, and dinner. So we may, you know, find a, an hour or so in there to break for lunch so that some guys can go down to Tacky Jack's and maybe come down to Sassy Bass and go in and sit down and eat. And, you know, when people say, what are you guys doing? Hey, we're having because the people that are out on Fort Morgan Island are eating at those restaurants mm-hmm. for lunch because it's basically the only restaurants that are out there. Uh, go to the gas station and get, uh, get a bag of ice if you need it, you know. So maybe we can find a little bit of time to do that Friday. But I think Friday afternoon, getting the battalion together, marching down the road to at least down to, to the where we loaded the LCVPs and, uh, you know, take a little break down there, sit around, people coming in and out of there, coming off of fishing boats or coming in and out to eat, coming in and out of the tackle shop, say, hey, we're, you know, we got this event going on at Fort Morgan, come back tomorrow. Um, we're not fighting the, the Blue Angels homecoming show in Pensacola this year. It's the weekend after. Nice. Uh, so that I think that kind of hurt us last year. I, I wish I had known that they had scheduled the they had pushed the, the homecoming show is always the Marine Corps birthday weekend, but they pushed it up a week last year for some reason, and I didn't know that when we planned the event. But uh, without not fighting that this year, and we do have the the Oyster Fest in Gulf Shores, which means there'll be people in Gulf Shores that we can draw. So we definitely need to get the word out. What well, we can, and I'm. And God willing, we won't have a hurricane land three weeks prior to the event either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely gotta got to uh, you know pray for that. Uh, we got lucky last year of Hurricane Michael had been about a hundred miles west of where it hit. It could have been could have been detrimental, but you know um, we don't. We're not worrying about the boat this year. And I say worrying about them. I and the boat made the event last year, but at the same time, it was so stressful because mm-hmm. we had. The boat arrived Wednesday. We had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The only day we could have done the amphibious assault was Saturday. Yeah. If it had been one day, either way, the other, there's no way it could have happened. And the boat would have come for nothing. So um, that stress is a little bit off of me this year. And I think we're going to have a great event this year. And then we're going to try to get that boat back um, at some point. Um, but, it's not going to be this year. It's just, it cost them too much money. And, uh, it was a lot, a lot of headache, um, you know, trying to get it here and get it back and 
but we are going to work on having them come back at Fort Morgan in November of 2020 for a, uh, Phil and I have been talking about it. We think we want to do a 19, say 38 to 45 Pacific theater timeline hmm. living history weekend in That'd November cool. of 2020, where if you've got a Australian or New Zealand or China, Burma, India, or whatever Pacific theater impression you want to do. Coast watcher. Authentically, authentically coast watcher, Coast Guard, you know, uh, anything that you want to do. Marine, you can do Wake Island Marines, or you can do Okinawa, or you can do Tarawa, or you can do um, New Guinea, Army in New Guinea, whatever you want to do. Uh, just a big living history, end of the Pacific War, timeline living history in November of 2020, and then back in 2021 for the 80th anniversary of Wake Island. Start all over again. Galen Wagner, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for everything that you do. And for those of you who uh, subscribe to this on iTunes and the podcast automatic, automatically downloads into your phone, go to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on the page for this episode, and I will have all the pertinent links, the links to the Facebook page, um, the links to the crowd uh, funding uh, the t-shirt sales if we're going to do the t-shirts again this year um, anything that yeah. happens even after this episode as things progress and new information gets sent to my way that needs to be shared to the public we'll also include that on our Facebook page and all that stuff so uh, WTSPWorldWar2.com is the place to find everything and uh, Galen thank you so much for your time and I will speak with you soon my friend alright Don good to talk to you man I'll see you soon bye bye